Our reading this evening is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the reading of God's word for you tonight. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor at Grace, and uh, you often see me downtown, though the last few weeks I have been here more frequently as well. Uh, As you may know, we are in a series in Philippians called Identity, Recovering Our True Selves, and tonight we are going to spend uh, some considerable time talking about who our true selves are. It is not as though we have not yet spoken about that in this series, but tonight we need to because we're talking about contention between believers. And when two believers, whether they are uh, in the same immediate family, right, husband and wife, brother and sister, mother and father, or whether they're just in the same church body, when believers disagree, we need to find out what it is that's causing them to disagree because we should not. We should share in love with one another. And so when we are in contention with each other, we need to find out why that is. And one of the reasons that uh, that happens is because we don't know who we are. We're not clear on our identity. So we're going to talk about that tonight because um, what Paul is calling for here in this passage as he wraps up the book of Philippians is for the entire body of Christ to work with the mind of Christ to glorify God. And that isn't exactly what he says, obviously, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We just read those. He didn't say that. But he has been saying that throughout all of Philippians. And he says that in many ways through many of his letters. He says, I want you all, all of you, the body of Christ, I want you to have the same mind together in Christ. And that's going to glorify God. That's what I want for you, that you would glorify God, that we would do this together. And so he is going to say a couple of things to us tonight. But before we get to that, before we get to what Paul is um, encouraging us to do, what he's taking for granted Um, I want to give you some things that you might not catch. So in the ESV, which I read from, the verse says here in 4.1, Therefore, my brothers. But this Greek word that we translate brothers is probably more properly translated brothers and sisters or siblings. Some of your translations say brethren. The idea is family. It's not just the brothers. It's the family. Paul is talking to all of the children, and that includes all of us here. So know that. Know that, therefore, my brothers is really better understood. Therefore, my siblings, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And know in verse 2 here, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 1, rather, where he says, stand firm thus in the Lord, that what he's talking about is what he's been talking about through the entire book. And so Jason brought this up last week, and I just want to remind you that he's talking about sharing the mind of Christ. He says it in 317, imitate me as I imitate Christ, because... It's Christ's mind that we need. And he says it back in chapter 1, and he says it throughout chapter 2. He says, I want you to share the mind of Christ. So when he says here in these few verses to stand firm, thus, he's talking about with the mind of Christ. Not with our own mind, not with our own thoughts, with our own desires, but with the mind of Christ. And then finally, there's this kind of strange uh, construction here in verse 3 where he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, 
And he switches tense, and that's a little strange, right? Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul has been writing to the church. He's been writing to brothers and sisters. And all of a sudden, he's singling out a person, but he's not giving us a clear name, or at least it doesn't appear that he's giving us a clear name. It is possible, commentators say it's possible, that what we translate as true companion or loyal companion or or loyal yoke fellow in some translations is actually a person's name. It's a reference to a name like we might uh, use the name hope or faith. Right? It could be a double meaning, a word play that is referring to a specific person. It could also mean Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is from the church in Philippi. He has come to Paul with resources, and now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians with this letter. That could be the person he's talking about. But regardless of who he's talking about, we know that he is talking both to the whole church and to individuals in the church, and especially about this, about addressing contention in the church. Because he wants us all to be co-laborers. He wants us all to work together. And there are things getting in the way of that. So let's talk about what those things are. If we're going to be co-laborers in the gospel, if we're going to be the body of Christ, working with the mind of Christ to glorify God, who are we and how do we work together? I want to help us try to answer those questions. Again, from what Paul has been saying all throughout Scripture and what Scripture says broadly, not just what Paul says we should see that we are men and women, that we are co-laborers and that we are image bearers and that that's where our worth comes from. I started by saying that one of the reasons that we have contention with one another, one of the reasons that we fight and argue is because we forget who we are. And all throughout scripture, scripture is reminding us, here's where your value comes from. Not in the things that you choose for yourself, but in the way that God made you and the gifts that he's given you. So I'm going to remind you of that. I'm going to to call our attention to that this evening. Also, we have gifts and a calling. And so we need to understand what those gifts and calling are. And here's, here's a very quick forecast, right? It is to use those gifts to God's glory. It's to use those gifts in the manner which he has chosen for us, not which we would choose for ourselves. And then finally, uh, it's that return to this idea that the whole body stands firm with one mind. And one mind is going to require us to give up not just the head position, right, but also all rule and all authority to Jesus. To have the mind of Christ is to recognize, even as Jesus recognized, that we must submit, that we must make somebody besides ourselves king. Jesus, who did not consider equality with Godhood something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant. That's the mind of Christ. Jesus also submitted to the Heavenly Father, and so we likewise should submit to him and let him be our king. So that's where we're going tonight. Uh, Pray with me as we begin that we might know who we are, what we need, and how to work together so that we can get out of this contention that we find ourselves in. God, I praise you for today. I thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I thank you for every opportunity we get. Help us to not take it for granted. God, I pray that you would be with us in this place, that your Holy Spirit would be present, and that you would be at work in us tonight. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So contention is an issue, right? Contention is something that all of you have, whether you want to admit it or not. Anybody want to admit that there might have been some conversations of contention in your life today before you came to church? Anybody? With a parent, with a roommate, with a sibling? Anything that you don't want me to repeat here from stage? Contention never happens in your homes, right? You guys are all peaceful, loving, kind people. Bo did not argue with anybody today, ever, because he's just that, just that kind. No contention, 
right? No, that's not true. We have contention all over the place. Contention is hard. Contention means that we are at war with ourselves and with others, and there are lots of reasons for this, but here's one reason we don't know who we are. So who are we? How do we answer this question? One of the fundamental philosophical questions, who are we? In Paul's day, they answered it this way. They said, men are first, specifically Roman men who are citizens are first. And if you're not a Roman man who's a citizen, yeah, sorry, you don't really have any value. Women could have some value in certain circumstances, especially if they were Roman women, but there were some people who were just valueless in Roman society. Unwanted children, for example, were literally thrown away. And maybe some of you know this, but early Christians made a name for themselves by rescuing children off burning trash heaps. That's Christians recognizing value in people that other people have called worthless. And so this is the structure in Paul's day. And it wasn't just in Rome. This structure was patterned in other places too, even in Israel, where Jewish men had significance and Jewish women had less significance, and some people were considered worthless. This is a pattern that's repeated throughout the ancient world and still in our world today. But this is one way of addressing that question. Who are we? And it leads to clarity, but also to all kinds of problems, right? Nobody really wants this system anymore. We've swung hard from this system into something that looks more like this, where we say things like there are no differences and that you should tolerate everyone and everyone can do everything and be everything. And then we start to qualify that, right? We start to say things like, well, there are no differences except when there are. In these certain circumstances, there are differences, and we have to respect those, but all other differences are off the table. And you should definitely tolerate everyone except for these people. And you can do everything except for that. And what happens is, well, we've gone away from this idea that only certain people are first and certain people are worthless. We've introduced all kinds of confusion. This is a very confusing system because it changes all the time. It totally depends on what's popular when. And there's no way to know who you are in this system because as soon as you choose something, something else becomes popular. Some other new taboo is created. Some new distinction is made. And so you can easily lose sight of who you are in that system as well. So we don't want to go back, right? We don't want a system that says only Roman men are first, right? Rome is pretty small today. That would be a very small order of importance in the world today. We don't want that system. We don't want any system like that because that system creates all kinds of problems. In Paul's day, women are not reputable, right? They can't inherit property. They're not reliable witnesses by social standards. We don't want to go back to that. That's terrible. But we also don't want this. We don't want to tell everybody you can choose whatever you want and then change our mind the next day and say, no, you can't. Well, you can choose everything, but don't choose that. And so we should have answers, and the church should have answers. And if you go to churches expecting answers, you will find them. Unfortunately, you will find lots of different answers at lots of different churches. And some churches might say something like, well, all people are equal in God's eyes. And they might say something like, I think there's something about maybe different roles for different people. And you might find a different answer in every church you go to. So I'm not going to try and preach from, teach from any one church tradition. Instead, I'm going to teach from what this says, what the scripture says. I'm going to ask you to read it with me tonight and see what it says. Because here's what I think the scripture says, and I'm going to show you where. But it says, all people, men, women, doesn't matter what nation, tribe, or tongue you're from, all people have value because they're made in God's image. That's who you are. That's where your value comes from. 
the creator of the universe made you and he made you in his image and that's why you're valuable. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you compare yourself with other people, you should always be thinking first and foremost, I bear the image of God. That's where my value comes from. But also, because he wasn't content to just give you his image, also, if you believe in him, if you confess your sins and you accept redemption from Jesus, he says, you also inherit my kingdom. And so in the past, this was an even bigger deal, right, for people who had been classified as worthless, as slaves, even as women, because they couldn't have inherited anything. And now they inherit the kingdom of God. So you are made in God's image, and you also inherit his kingdom. And beyond that, also, all of those differences, all those things that make you unique, all of those things that make you different, those are important as well because you are like members of a body and all of those different parts are necessary. So this is a much better answer. And when we answer this question for ourselves the same way, it does help to address contention. Because if we are all made in God's image, then we are all valuable. And if we're all inheritors, then we're co-heirs with Christ. And if our differences are intentional, then they can't be or they shouldn't be reason for contention, but reason for glory and reason for us to work together. So it's important for us to understand ourselves this way. And here's where scripture says it. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man or mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created him. That's again, mankind. Male and female, he created them. From the beginning, God makes man and woman, uh, and both men and women glorify God through displaying his image. It is not God makes man, he displays God's image really well, and then he just needed like 3% more, and then he made women. Right? Men and women display God's image. That's it. That's the only, that's all we get. But we get God's image. And so we display that just by being. That's where our value comes from. What about that whole part about inheritance? In Galatians, Paul says it this way. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. And he's not backtracking on that idea of women, right, being important. But rather he's saying, because in his day, only sons can inherit. He's saying, all of you can inherit like sons. All of you have this right in the Father through the Son. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and now whether you are a Jew or a Greek or a slave or free or male or female, that does not get in the way of you inheriting the kingdom. So Paul is building on what he understands to be true from Genesis. He's saying, now that we have Christ, we have more. Not only are we image bearers, but we're also inheritors, co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. And more than that, He said, we are one body with many members, one body in Christ, but individually members of one another. We're interconnected so that that we can do the will of the Father with all of our different gifts. So we have contention. We fight because we're jealous and because we're selfish. And, And Jesus is saying to us, right, in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is telling us through Paul, don't. Don't do that. Have the mind of Christ because look at what I've given you. I've given you all equality in the way that you were created. I've given you all equality in the way that you have inheritance together. And I've made you all important parts of the body with all of your different gifts. So don't be jealous of each other's gifts. Don't be contentious with one another. Don't be selfish. You've got all of this. Use all of this together. 
You probably know this passage. This is not the one I just read from Romans. This is from Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I'm skipping ahead here to verse 17. <clears throat> if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You guys have heard this passage, many of you, many times. What is this saying? It's saying that you're all necessary. It's not as though some are more necessary. The Bible, in the, in the part that I skipped here, right, the scripture says the parts that we afford special honor, right, sometimes are disreputable in society. Sometimes the people that we interact with, they don't, they don't do as well in society. They're harder to, to uh, fit into society. But God's, God's affording them special honor. He's saying, take, take care of those people who don't fit very well because I have a role and a plan for them also. It is not just the people who look like the right sort of people. It's all of the people because you all bear my image. And I want you to get along in the Lord. I want you to have the same mind in Christ Jesus because you were all made to drink of one spirit. All of these gifts, this image, they all come from the same place. So we are image bearers from every age and sex and nation, tribe and tongue. We're all inheritors of the kingdom. That's true. And we all need all of each other. We all need every part of us working together, working through disagreements. If my hand says suddenly to my arm, I don't want to work with you, I have a physical problem. If my foot says suddenly to my leg, I don't want to work with you, we have a problem. I can't let those contentions stand. But we're willing to do that when it's another person. We know that this is supposed to be the body of Christ. We've heard that before in Scripture. But when we have contentions arise between us, we're willing to let those stand because it doesn't bother us that much. It's okay to disagree, isn't it? To not get along. And the answer is no, it's not. Because we need all of these different parts in order to do what God has called us to do. So here's what Paul is saying. He is saying, my brothers and sisters, my siblings, my family, I love and long for you. You are my joy and my crown. Keep the mind of Christ, my beloved. Stand firm thus. Keep the mind of Christ. And I ask you also, I'm sorry, and I entreat Yodia and I entreat Zedekiah to agree in the Lord because you're not keeping the mind of Christ. You have a, a matter of contention between you. It might be small and it might be great. We don't know from the text. But we do know that it exists and it's a problem and it's a problem because they have worked together before. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. We've been co-laborers together. We have achieved glory for God together. We've done it, but now there's something in the way. And you all know, because you've all interacted with other people, how small and petty these things can be. You've probably heard about churches who have broken up because some people didn't like the color of the paint or the color of the carpet. Right? You've heard about churches who have had arguments over silly things. They can drive wedges, not in churches only, right, but in families, in marriages. And Paul says, don't let this be true of you. Agree with one another in the Lord. It doesn't mean that you just stop paying attention when there's wrongdoing. Right? There are right ways to handle this. There are all kinds of descriptions in Scripture of what it looks like to go to your brother or sister and say, you've wronged me. And when they don't listen, to bring somebody else along with you. So it doesn't mean that you just ignore or gloss over problems, but it does mean you need to 
deal with it. We can't let this contention stand. So we need to work together. We need to remember that we're all image bearers, that we're all inheritors, that we're all interconnected. Paul says in Ephesians, this is what it looks like. He says, if you're speaking the truth and love to one another, then we're growing up, all of the different body parts, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the consequence of us working through contention. We grow into Christ. We recognize who our head and our authority should be. And we have health and we have strength. This is so much better than contention, right? This is so much better than waking up and thinking, I don't even want to talk to my roommate today because we we, we ended badly last night or two nights ago or three nights ago and I just don't even want to deal with them or it anymore. And maybe it's not your roommate. Maybe it's your spouse or the person you thought you wanted to marry. Right? And that contention builds and builds and builds if you don't address it. But here's what Paul is saying in Ephesians can happen. If we speak the truth and love to one another, we can work through those things and be healthy together. But we have to recognize who's who. Colossians is a great book for describing who God is. I told, us, I told you at the beginning who we were. I reminded you what Scripture says we are. Right? We are image bearers. We are co-inheritors. We are members of the body. But the body only has one head, and it's Jesus. And this is what Colossians says about him. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. Notice it doesn't say, and Joshua have an executive pastor at Grace is the head of the body of the church. Or Jason Blackley or any of the other people that we have on staff. It doesn't say any of our names because none of us is qualified to be head of the body. Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. You know what happens to me sometimes? I try to put my pants on and I get my foot stuck in my pants and I almost face plant into my closet floor. That's how skilled and gifted I am. I cannot make the universe. I am not qualified to be head of the body. But Jesus is. And when I try to take that from him, I am going to have contention with my brother and sister in Christ. Right? That is me putting myself in his space. And we do that with rule, and we do that with authority. Chapter 2 of Colossians. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the word, a world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus has the authority. We've talked before at Grace, and I know it's been said here too, We are good. We are good about Jesus being our Savior. We like that idea. We like Jesus saving us. But submitting to him as king is is hard. Recognizing that he also should have rule over our lives and tell us where to go and what to do, that's a lot harder than just being saved. Don't send me to hell? Good. Thanks, Jesus. That's great. Now give me your life. I don't know about that. Right? The gift is free. We don't have to do anything to be saved except to say, Lord, I need your salvation. I'm a sinner. But he wants to be our king because he knows better than we do. 
we received him and we can be built up in him with thanksgiving or we can choose the deceptive philosophies of this world which are lies. We can believe things like you can be whoever you want to be. Who heard this in class growing up? You can be whatever you want to be. Can you be whatever you want to be? Anybody want to be a bird? As a child, anybody want to be a bird? I wanted wings so bad as a small child, right? I wanted to be a bird. Didn't work out for me. I cannot be. Well, that's not what they mean. They mean you could be a cement truck driver. Probably. But not everybody can be everything they want to be. That's not how God made us. He made us with individual gifts to be members of a body that are designed to work together. And we don't all get each other's gifts. And so we won't always enjoy that, right? Sometimes we will look at our neighbor and we will say, why don't I have your gifts? But we need the body of Christ working according to its purpose and calling as image bearers and as inheritors, as interconnected people, because if we don't, we won't be able to uh, advance the, the slides. There we go. We won't be able to glorify God. If we, if we don't have those things, we won't be able to glorify God. We will be able to glorify ourselves, but we won't be able to glorify God. And I'm going to go to James here a minute because James is not Paul. And I want you to know that this is not just all of the backstory that Paul is bringing, right? He is saying these things through all of his epistles, but he's not the only one. And so James is going to say this. There's a delay. That's what James says. There we go. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We don't know exactly what the contention was that Paul is addressing. But we do know that it's very likely that it had to do with jealousy or selfish ambition. And it's very likely that it had to do with one woman, one sister in Christ saying to another, I want something that you have in one way or another. Why? Because that's how we operate. We forget or reject the idea that our value comes from bearing God's image and that our value comes from inheriting his kingdom. And we start to look at each other's gifts and calling and say, I want what you have. Or I think I can do what you do better. And the result is not wisdom that comes from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. When uh, Brooke Simpson, who's our lead pastor, was going to go on sabbatical a number of months ago, we knew this, and so we started to plan as a staff that this was going to happen, and we started assigning preaching slots. And I decided in my mind that one of the other pastors at Grace was not nearly as gifted as I was as a public speaker and therefore shouldn't be given as many opportunities to preach. And so I was devising methods in my, in my mind and heart for keeping him off the preaching schedule because I determined that I was better than him. And the Lord showed me that this was jealousy and selfish ambition and nothing more. And he showed me that I needed to go and speak to this fellow pastor and tell him and confess to him this sin because that's what I was doing. I was sinning against him. God has given him his own gift. It's not mine. 
and I was trying to put mine in his place. He's a foot, and I was trying to put my hand where his foot is. And it's not supposed to be like that. God made him different than me. And both of our values come from being image bearers of God. And he was gracious to me when I confessed my sin to him, and he forgave me that sin. But that's how easy it is to have contention between believers. And it will break down if we don't recognize Christ as head and Christ as authority. That's why Paul says, stand firm thus with the mind of Christ. Always with the mind of Christ. So the whole body of Christ, right? Men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I haven't made a huge deal about this because most of you are pretty good at this. But this means everybody, right? Most of the people attending Grace, North Liberty especially, they look alike, right? They're all about so high. They all have pretty pale skin, right? They all look like they could have been a farmer or they might be a farmer someday. That's a part of the body of Christ. That is not the whole body of Christ. The body of Christ needs men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue because the scripture tells us that's who's represented in the heavenly kingdom. And so that's all of us and then some, right? That's brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia and in China and all over the world. And so we need the whole body of Christ, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we need to stand firm together with a single mind of Christ. We are always going to find contention if we don't. We are always going to choose foolish little things just because we like them. My daughter yesterday wanted to strap a snow sled to roller skate wheels and ride down our driveway. Because it was fun. Because it was an idea that came into her head and she thought, that's something I want to do. That's how easy it is for us to be motivated to do things we should not do, right? She and I had a long conversation about this was a foolish goal. She's like, I thought you were supposed to teach me to never give up. (laughs) And I said, I'm not going to teach you to never give up hurting yourself. I am going to teach you, right, to make wise choices. And Paul is trying to encourage his siblings, his family. He's calling them together and he's saying, listen, don't do things just because you want to. Don't look at your brother's or sister's gift and say, I want your gift. Right? Often it is to our detriment to have our brother's and sister's gift. It was designed for them. It wasn't designed for us. So we need all of us standing firm with the mind of Christ, focused on the same person, in submission to the same Lord, making him our king. Not ourselves, but him. Now, it would be great if we wanted to be the body of Christ, working with the mind of Christ to glorify God. It would be great if there was like an an example in Scripture, maybe like in Romans chapter 16, where we could turn and see what this looks like. So I'm just going to turn to Romans 16. Oh, look, there's an example. Um, I'm going to read to you just some of what's, Rome, what's in Romans 16, not the whole thing. But this is, this is valuable. This is Paul saying he's commending to the, the church in Rome uh, all kinds of people, one to another. The church in Rome, when Paul is writing, is not one big building. Right? Today, if you go to Rome, if you go to the Vatican City, there's uh, St. Peter's Basilica, giant church. Right? You could call that the church in Rome. But what Paul is talking about is dozens of believers, little house churches, people scattered all over. And he's writing this letter so that they will come together with the same mind of Christ, so that they will not have contention. And listen to who he's talking to and about. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrie, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. 
Phoebe, probably a single woman, probably a Gentile, who is funding the work of Paul with her own money and funding the work of other missionaries, this is a key member of the body, a central, important part of the body of Christ, this single woman doing this work. And he goes on, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. This is an entirely different ministry model. So on one hand, here's Phoebe. She is a single woman, probably, funding people right out of her own means. And then you have Priscilla and Aquila who are making tents and selling them for money to fund their ministry. And they've got this single guy. His name is Paul. He's kind of an old codger, bald. And he's come along with them, and he's living with them, right? And they are treating him like family, and that's also the body of Christ. And if you read through chapter 16 here, you get men and you get women and you get young and old and Jews and Greeks, and this is the body of Christ. And are there going to be room? Is there going to be room for contention? Absolutely. Right? There are going to be all kinds of reasons why these people might disagree with each other, but they can agree in the Lord and they can find their collective value in being image bearers and being co-inheritors. They can find their value in being members of the body that all have a purpose that God has called them to. They don't have to be contentious, and we don't have to be either. You pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to trust in you. When we have all kinds of reasons to find our neighbor's gifts more valuable than our own, when we don't think you've given us good gifts, Lord, help us to remember that we bear your image and that we have value just by being alive because you made us to bear your image. Help us to remember, Lord, that we inherit your kingdom. Help us to remember, Lord, that you have called all of us to be different parts of this one body with one mind, and I pray that we would submit to your rule and your authority, and that you would drive contention from this place. In your name, Jesus. Amen.